morning, church. You know, I I know y'all are supposed to come because you're Christians, and I shouldn't like have to reward you for coming to church. But you know, honestly, when I looked out and it was raining this much, I went. You know, the pastor in me went. I don't know if a lot of them are going to come today. So thank you for coming to church in the rain. Um. I know Daryl over here, He was the chivalry is not dead because he dropped his lovely wife and his daughter off and then he ran up here in the rain, so I'm glad. Uh, we don't make it easy, you got to actually come up that treacherous, you know, and then when you finally get in, you know, we greet you with a door that doesn't open, so that's, uh, that's, that's the hospitality at, at Haynes Creek, you know. Um, but... Uh, Anyway, the name of the sermon, if I had to give one this morning, is to testify, is to magnify. Um, I thought it was catchy. Um, John chapter 1, if you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. A couple weeks ago, Brother Stephen uh, preached... Uh, And he talked a lot about a guy named John, John the Baptist. Not to be confused, of course, with the Apostle John. But John the Baptist, as Stephen preached to us a couple weeks ago, came to bear witness to the light. That was his job. That's how you could pretty much sum up his entire life. Bearing witness about Jesus Christ. And so we're going to actually talk more about John the Baptist this morning. Uh, So without any further ado, if you'd stand for the reading of God's Word... See what the Holy Spirit has to say about this man who came to bear witness about the light. Verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptized. Let's pray. Father, show us what it means to testify. To testify to Jesus and not to ourselves. Reveal to us this morning what it means to bear witness to the truth of the gospel. Amen. You can be seated. I want to confess some sin this morning um, to you as your pastor. Uh, This week I fell into a very um, legalistic spirit. We've been preparing so much for the conference we had last week um, that we just gave so much time and effort into it and, and, and it went well. Lord blessed our efforts. But I've just been giving so much time to it uh, into our, our town hall meeting in a couple weeks, into our new members class, that I had neglected to really put some things on our schedule. 
Uh, if you look at our events schedule online, which I hope you're all checking online every once in a while, you'll notice that we don't quite have our calendar filled up. And it really bothered me that we didn't really have anything, that I wasn't brainstorming as many ideas as I normally do. And the Holy Spirit convicted me this week that it really bothered me a little too much. Um, it's, it, it's almost as if I needed a full calendar to validate my ministry um, as a pastor. Like I needed to stay busy or I needed to have just the schedule filled just for the sake of having a filled schedule. Uh, and I don't think God was honored by that. Um, and he revealed to me this week that um, he, he revealed to me this, this, this I thought of this a lot if I treated my wife the way I often treat the church I wouldn't have a very good marriage and what I mean by that is this in my sin I often treat the church like its success or its value is found in its metrics or in its output and so it led me to think this week, what is the quote-unquote output of my marriage? I mean, if it's babies, then that would mean that Kelly's only value to me is being a baby maker. If it's my happiness or my prosperity, then that would mean that Kelly is only the means to an end. When in reality, loving Kelly and making much of Kelly is its own end. Is it not? Why don't we treat Jesus like that? If we are His bride, then loving Jesus is our end. In fact, I would go so far as to say that my love for Kelly is just one more way that I love God and worship God. Why do we treat the church like its only value is found in something that can be recorded or measured? Our supreme duty on this earth, our only real duty on this earth is to love God, make much of God, and worship God. And we do that as much in our small groups as we would sharing Jesus with an unbeliever. Your pastor fell into kind of a godless, legalistic mindset this week, and I just wanted to confess that. And you all may go, well, it's kind of a petty sin. No, I really do believe I sinned. Because I treated God's church like it was something that, like it was a, a school calendar. Now, I still found some opportunities to serve, and we'll talk about those in the coming weeks. Because, of course, because I love God, we're, we're loving God and we're loving neighbor. But we're going to talk about this morning about a guy that Jesus said in Matthew 11 was the greatest among sinners. Jesus Christ, don't, I don't know if you, y'all miss me on that, don't miss me. Jesus Christ in Matthew 11 says, John the Baptist, other than Jesus, John the Baptist is the greatest among women, or, or sorry. <laughs> oh boy, alright. He is, he's, yeah. Right. <laughs> he's the greatest born of women. Of woman. Wow, alright, good deal. He's the greatest of women. Wow, that one's good. Um, and it's amazing, if he's the greatest born of women, other than Jesus, there's not a, lot of, there's not a ton of metrics in John Baptist's life. 
In fact, his life is amazingly simple. In fact, when he, when he spoke up, when he did choose to speak up, he ticked people off and they hated him for it. He spent most of his life in the desert. He was beheaded because he called out the wrong people. He wore a camel skin jacket, ate locusts and honey, and suddenly Jesus says, He's the greatest other than me. Why? Because He testified to someone greater. Now when I say testify, please don't hear evangelize. Those are two different things. Now of course evangelism can involve testimony, but evangelism and testimony are not the same thing. A testimony does not require unbelievers or converts to make it any more authentic. We're going to talk about that. In verses 6 and 7 in chapter 1, it says, John came to bear witness. That's what it means to testify. John chapter 1 verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. The word for testimony in Greek, as Stephen said two weeks ago, is martyria. That's where we get the word martyr. A martyr wasn't just someone who died. A martyr is someone who died in the name of Jesus. By dying for their faith, martyrs were testifying or serving as witnesses to the greatness and the supremacy of Jesus over life itself. There's a famous martyr in the early church. He might be the most famous martyr in the early church. His name is Ignatius of Antioch. He was on his way as a prisoner to Rome to be what most scholars believe he was eventually eaten by lions, which is a horrible death. And he decided on his way to Rome as he was going to his death, he decided to write a bunch of letters to churches. And I was reading them this week, and he actually wrote this to the, tri- to the church at Tralia. He says, For while I strongly desire to suffer, I do not know whether I am worthy. Dude didn't know if he was worthy to eat, get eaten by lions. And I thought... What if I had that attitude the next time I have to volunteer for the nursery? All right, plug for, for, um, for, for Allison over there. She's like, yes, good. <laughs> Guilt them. All right. <laughs> to testify is to magnify. What we're going to see this morning in this text is a testimony really only includes, has to include two things, who I am and who Jesus is. very first thing the priests want to know is, who in the heck are you? And the very first thing John tells them is, I am not Jesus. I mean, this is, I mean, I would venture to say John the Baptist might be the most humble person in the Bible other than Jesus. Let's read verses 19 through 21. Verses 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. You know, this is a fantastic example of how to witness to the gospel because 2,000 years later, the world still doesn't care about Jesus, but they are interested in you. And what I mean by that is I can count on one hand how many times someone randomly has come up to me and be like, hey, what's, what's Jesus? Who is Jesus? That just doesn't happen anymore. But I can tell you plenty of times where people come up to me and they want to know about me. Hey, uh, are you their dad? I get one that a lot. Yeah. 
Why not? They're like, oh, nothing. Just, just question. Are you Abby Dale's boy? You know, um, are you on that school board? Are you that pastor? People want to know about me all the time. Nine times out of ten, your door to telling other people about Jesus is found in the way you talk about yourself. Testimonies always start with you and they always end with Jesus. You know, I, I think one of our battles is how, this is what I thought this week, have I devised a way in my mind to go from talking about me to talking about Christ? That's how you testify. This is who I am. This is what Jesus has done. This is who Christ is. If someone asks you right now what you do for a living, how do you testify to the greatness of Christ in describing what you do every day? I mean, it's easy for me. <laughs> I preach about the gospel every single day. Oh, really? What's the gospel? But if you're a pharmacist, or a teacher, or you make glass, if you're a craftsman, if you're a judge, well, that might be easier. <laughs> but I'm telling you, that's how it starts. People don't come up to you and ask you in the Bible Belt, hey, tell me about this Jesus guy. They just assume it. But they are interested in you. You know, I watched, uh, sorry, we keep bringing up the game. I watched that championship game. And I was, I'm, talk, I'm, I'm telling you, I was rooting for the dogs. I was rooting for them. And I don't, it didn't even really have, have anything to do with the fact that I like UGA. I just hated Alabama. And uh, maybe hate's a strong word. Close to it, though. And after the game, I'm just like, totally deflated. You know, it was just one of those games that was just such a good game and then it ended so hor horribly. And then that quarterback opened his mouth. And I went, and I think I just, I think I dropped something. One, because he was wearing an Alabama jersey. But two, it's like the kid couldn't talk about the game without mentioning Jesus. Did y'all hear that? Did y'all anybody hear that at the game? They go, hey, you just won the national championship. I mean, you couldn't script this anymore. I mean, it was like a Rudy movie, except this kid actually played. You won the championship. You'd never started. You've been the backup all year. You came in at halftime and won the national championship. Hey, I just want to, I just got to give credit to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And they're like, okay, yeah, but, but tell us about the game. He's like, well, I just got to give credit. I mean, you just said it over and over. You can tell, like, the reporter was like, okay, get past the Jesus thing. But he was testifying to Christ. And I don't want to belittle anyone who says I want to give glory to God because that's, that's amazing too. But this guy actually said the name above all names on national television. And I'm like, yes! That's a testimony. He didn't say, hey, my name's Tua. When I was in, uh, six years old, I went to a Hawaiian Bible camp and then I went and got saved. And, uh, no, he said, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is greater than this game. That's a testimony. They wanted to know about him and he was saying, let me tell you about someone else. Pretty much what John the Baptist did. <coughs> He was almost incapable of talking about his accomplishments without talking about Jesus. Is that you? 
John the Baptist is doing the exact same thing. He says, who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you a prophet? He says, well, one, let me, first, first of all, let's get one thing straight. I'm not Jesus. But let me tell you about Jesus. Verses 22 through 23. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What did you say about yourself? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. You know, I just love John's humility because even when he's introducing himself, he's quoting someone else and he's pointing to someone else. Quoting Isaiah, talking about Jesus. No wonder Jesus says he's the greatest born among women. He's doing exactly what John later says in John chapter 3, verse 30. Christ must increase, but I must decrease. This guy refuses to talk about himself. Have you ever met someone who's like so humble it borders on self-deprecating? It's almost how it was with John, I imagine. His identity is wrapped up in making much of Christ. He's magnifying Jesus. To testify is to magnify. When asked to introduce himself, John just says, I'm the guy telling everybody where to go to find Jesus. I'm making it ready for Jesus. Get ready for Him. This guy is unbelievable. He is vast. He is immeasurable. He is excellent. He is perfect. He is sinless. You know, Kelly and I and the twins took a little uh, little vacation, mini vacation day and went to Athens on Saturday. Kelly and the twins. I'd only been once. Um, and, and when I went, I was like, Kelly would really like this town. So we went. Kelly loved it. Twins really loved it. They almost drowned a couple times, but it was good. And we're driving back from Athens, and uh, the weather right now is just really weird. Um, and it was raining, then it wasn't raining. It stopped while we were there, good. Then it started pouring down, it got really cold, and so I was like, hey, babe, I'm going to pull over and put on my hoodie. And I pulled over to what looked like a little, like, part, like a little exit place on the side of the highway by the way like there's a way to get back from athens to here that you're just like kelly was like are you lost honey i'm like no i don't think so you sure i mean it was just like i don't even know where i was i went through some state park at one point that's all i know with a really weird name yeah hard labor i thought it was a joke but it was that's really what it's called um hard labor it's probably a store to that um so I pull over, and I'm putting on my hoodie, and then I realize it's the entrance to a former, like, a now closed, condemned neighborhood. And one thing that's interesting about the Atlanta area, just kind of the metropolis of Atlanta, is what the recession did to this whole area. You can just see traces of it everywhere. And I'm putting on my hoodie, and this place, it's got a little stone entrance to it. And it's got a name. And it's got like this, you can tell it cost a lot of money. And then you kind of crane your neck, as I did, and I kind of looked around. These houses were gorgeous in there. And it was walled off. The weeds were like six foot high, and the, there was like the cracked windows, and it was just an eyesore. And I'm thinking, what in the world happened? Y'all know what neighborhoods I'm talking about. They're all over the place. And you just wonder, and you go, how did they put that much money 
in that neighborhood. And now it looks like Jurassic Park. And so I'm driving. Kelly was like, is that a neighborhood? And I was like, yeah, it was. It was like, and the houses were good-looking houses, too. And you're like, like a bomb went off or something. And they got it even taped. I mean, it just looks horrible. And I started thinking, the weeds and the broken windows and the filth and the dark, just looking at a new, beautiful, upscale neighborhood. Condemned and sealed off to rot away in filth and in isolation is kind of looking like an image bearer of God enslaved and mired in sin. Because when I saw this neighborhood, I could see a glimpse of what it used to be like. But now it doesn't look a thing like it was supposed to. That's what sin does to image bearers of God. And it's an eyesore if you know the beauty that it had originally. And so what John is saying when he comes is, look, this, this Jesus guy, he's the one who's going to renovate your soul. He's the one you've got to be born again in. He's the one who's going to change your life. And he's the only one who can do it. That's how magnificent He is. That's how transcendent He is. That's how perfect He is. Is He's the one, He's the only one who can change you and make this place look like it used to. And I thought, someone trying to live their life without Jesus, someone trying to walk, in this life without the gospel is like someone trying to live in one of those neighborhoods. Just a dump. And what we're trying to say with Christ, what John the Baptist is trying to say is, this is not the way it's supposed to be. That's why Jesus came. And if you think that was a good neighborhood, wait till you see what He's bringing with Him. He is not, I am not, I'm not worthy to Untie this man's sandals. And with Jesus, we see that, I mean, there are mansions coming. And what John is saying is exactly what he said in John chapter 3, verse 30. Christ must increase, we must decrease. Verses 24 through 27. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. I mean, if you want to know what a testimony looks like, look no further than John. Here's who I am, here's who Jesus is, and I am not worthy. To testify is to magnify. I am a great sinner and He is a great Savior. That's a testimony. You know, John just wants to make much of Jesus and he makes sure his life proclaims it. And that is precisely what God asks of you today. Make much of my Son. Testify to my Son. Magnify Jesus. The greatest man on earth other than Jesus is the one pointing everyone to Jesus. It's really encouraging to me personally because I'm just a simple person and John is like the most simple person. 
Now, somebody could go and they go, Avi, that's not really a testimony, though, because a testimony has a story, and it's got an experience, and it's got a camp involved, and you've got to go, you've got a before, you've got an after, you've got an experience. I think our church has slowly misunderstood what a testimony is over time. Testimonies can involve stories. Obviously, they're part of your life. It's telling other people about who you were and who you are now. But Scripture says that this is the testimony of John. A testimony must simply include two things. How great a sinner you are and how great a Savior Jesus is. That is a testimony. And what John says is if you're doing it right, you will decrease and He will increase. Testimonies are less about you and more about Jesus. We exist in order to witness to the greatness of our Lord. Revelation chapter 12, verses 11 is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. And they have conquered the dragon by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. In the word of our testimony. I love who sings that song. I was trying to think of that all week. I think it's Jeremy Camp. I can't, if I'm right. Okay. For they loved, oh, don't miss it. For they loved not their lives even unto death. God promises us that the church will overcome the powers of evil. The church will overcome darkness. The church will overcome the devil. Not by really outrageous, unbelievable testimonies, but by testimonies that simply point to the sufficiency and the power of Jesus. That's it. I used to feel inadequate. And some, maybe some of y'all were like this. I used to be, I feel inadequate sharing my testimony because my testimony wasn't... I mean, it wasn't like... Robbie Schrader's testimony. You know, mine was I believed in Jesus. I saw the heinousness of my sin. I saw how ugly and inadequate and the great debt that I owed to God and the condemnation that was upon me for being a sinner. And then I saw how Jesus offered salvation and I believed in Him. That was my testimony. And I think what John is saying is good. The power of your testimony is not predicated on your really good story. The, pre- the power of your testimony is predicated on how mighty and lifted up Jesus is. Uh, in Louisiana, we had a... I might have told this story before. And we had a speaker come in, and this guy was a former LSU athlete. Everybody came. And he talked about how he turned his life around. Apparently in high school he was into drugs, whatever. And he was like a celebrity in Baton Rouge. And never mentioned Jesus once. Said God, said faith, didn't say Jesus. Therefore, the one we paid to come in and tell his testimony never actually gave his testimony. Ever. Had a really nice story, had a turnaround spin, never actually got to the point of what a testimony is supposed to be, and that is to point to the magnificence and the excellence and the sufficiency of Jesus. I want to read a passage from John Bunyan's autobiography. John Bunyan wrote what many people believe, other than the Bible, is the greatest selling book of all time. It's called Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan's autobiography is called Grace Abounding in the Chief of Sinners. And this is how he describes his conversion. I remember that one day, as I was traveling into the country and musing on the wickedness and the blasphemy of my heart and considering the enmity that was in me to God, 
that Scripture came to my mind. He hath made peace by the blood of His cross. Colossians 1.20 By which I was made to see both again and again and again that day that God and my soul were friends by this blood. I saw that the justice of God in my sinful soul could embrace and kiss one another through this blood. This is a good day for me, and I hope I shall never forget it. That's a testimony. There's no near-death experience there. There's no drug addiction. There's no alcohol addiction. There's no jail time. There's no catastrophic event. He simply tells us who he was, wicked, blasphemous, and sinful, and then gets to telling us how awesome Jesus is. And that, my friends, is a testimony. To testify is to magnify. God is more glorified by that simple account than by an hour-long story of addiction, despair, immorality, pornography, bar brawl, jail time that doesn't include Jesus. Think about how much you have to revere and exalt, and exalt someone to describe them like this. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. I mean, y'all seen like, well, of course you haven't seen, but just imagine a first century sandal. So it's, it's awful. John's whole goal in life, his entire identity, his entire purpose, is to make sure that people know how high and lifted up Jesus is. In one form or another, make no mistake, we can't just read like, okay, yeah, John the Baptist is awesome. In one form or another, you, we are to be little John the Baptists. That's our task as the church. Testimonies are not... I always thought growing up that the testimony was a thing that you went to the men's retreat and heard. Which is good. You know, they'd always try to find a guy at the men's retreat who had a really good testimony. You know, Because you don't want somebody who just come in and say, well, I just believed in Jesus and got saved. Okay. Yeah, great. You try to get somebody with that really good, like, back-breaking... 180 degree almost Saul conversion story and I think those are great but let's not think that if you have a story that's a little bit more mundane than that no testimony is mundane when it ends with Jesus testimonies aren't just for small groups or campfires or men's retreats they're for every single day of your life when you witness to the one who is greater I'm not sure if I've I'm not sure if it's around anymore, but I think it is. In, in Cleveland, Ohio, Daniel like this, there used to be this gigantic poster of LeBron James with his arms out like that, and it said, We are witnesses. You remember that, that poster? It was on the side of a building. It was, it was a Nike ad. I think it's still there. And it just had, you know, before games, he, he has the chalk in his hands and he throws it up like that and he, he was doing that. And it says, it's just a picture of LeBron James with a Nike swoosh and it says, we are witnesses, is what it says. And even though I'm a LeBron fan, I mean, not character-wise, I suppose. I'm trying to check that now. He's, I don't know that he's a great role model, but I've always been slightly uncomfortable with that poster because the basic idea is that Cleveland fans are testifying to the almost superhuman things they've seen. It's a very biblical concept. So, so to some degree or another, even our secular culture understands, to one degree or another, if you claim to follow someone of true greatness, you will witness that greatness to the world. 
Testimonies aren't built on your story. They're built on His story. The gospel of Jesus Christ. They asked John the Baptist, Who are you? And then he told them exactly who he was. He said, I ain't Jesus. That's, his, that's, that's your easiest tra- transition right there. Hey, tell me about yourself. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. So I wanted to end with this. If you just heard this entire sermon this morning, and the first thing you're thinking now is, man, i got to go evangelize. That's good, but don't miss the point. Evangelism is a good thing. But don't miss the bigger picture, and that is to testify is to magnify. A testimony is more than about evangelism. It's about your entire life pointing to how great a God we serve. The way you speak to your wife, the way you raise your children, the way you run your business, the way you speak about strangers, the life you live testifies about something. Every inch of Abby's flesh wants to witness to the world how great Abby is. But by the Spirit of God, I want to be hidden in Christ and I want to crucify the old Abby and I want everyone to be that light on the hill that shines to the glory of Jesus. So I wanted to end with this. This morning, if you've never testified to the greatness of Jesus... You never thought about that. Well, I mean, I got saved. Well, you got saved so that people could see how great God is. Simultaneously, the cross of Christ does two things. It testifies to how vile and wretched and sinful we are and to how good and loving and righteous a Savior He is. Let us, let you, let your family, let your marriage testify to the gospel. That's what He has called us to do. Let's pray. Father God, we want to be witnesses to Your power, to Your love, to Your goodness, to Your righteousness, to Your holiness. Like John, we just want to talk about You. Because everything we have that is good, every good and perfect gift from above is from You anyway. Why wouldn't we want to talk about the good things? Father, teach us to give our testimony. Not just when it's a mince retreat. Not just when it's an unbeliever. Show us what it means for our lives to testify to the Gospel. Teach us what it means, Father, to point to one to whose sandals we are unworthy to untie. Help us to make much of your Son, Jesus. Show us the immensity of our sin. Show us the condemnation that we are under now. But show us the great liberation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. And all these things we ask in your Son's name. Amen.